The Rack and Tour Collection presents Chapters, a book report podcast, hosted by Charlie. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chapters. You heard what this podcast is about. It's a book report podcast. And not always, but most of the time, joined by my brother, Jack, as we continue our long voyage into the lands of Narnia. Some would say this is our longest voyage yet. Some say we're treading. Some would say we're <laughs> treading towards the dawn. <laughs> oh God, we can't. We can't do that. Treading towards the dawn and the glimpses of sunlight scaling through the clouds. That voice you hear there is one of uh, our guests today. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> because we're joined by our other guest, <laughs> Reepichu. No, I was kidding. Can you imagine? Just his audio just spiking the entire time as he. And I. <laughs> oh my God. Dream. But, as you heard, that is my brother Jack. Yes, hello. And today we're continuing our journey through the Chronicles of Narnia. Of course, we've been going over the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which, might I just throw it in here before we kind of get into the meat of it, really enjoy this one. Oh yeah. Definitely one of my favorites. I mean, I think out of all the ones, or of the three books we've read so far, is probably, I would rate it the highest. But it also deals with subject matter that I really like, which is Dude, sailing I, off the edge of a map. Yeah. Yeah. But to catch everybody up who does not know, Chapters is, of course, a book report podcast, kind of designed to bring the joy back to reading. Jack is typically been my, you know, the subject of my experimentation as I force him to read some books. And also, can I say, I've been on every single episode of this gosh dang podcast. Earlier, you were like, he's usually a reoccurring guest. Well, you know, I want to I want to future proof it right to where if we have like other guests in the in the future, right? Well, true, but it's not going to matter from this point anyways. You never know. Go ahead. Somebody could listen to us in like five years. That'd be they're cool. Like, they're like, wow. <laughs> and you're doing it by yourself and I've died. I know. It's like 2027 20, at that point and like the world's on fire and, and we're still the economy's broken down. But no, for some reason, somebody's listening to old episodes of the Rack and Trude Collection because that's the only content they can get. Some guy in Alaska. But to get back on topic. Yeah. To bring back the joy of reading is all what Chapters is about. And we have gone through... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Prince Caspian, and now we are tackling Voyage of the Dawn Treader. For anybody out there who is curious, you can find us on all of your podcasting sites. Spotify, Sp- Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. You can find us on a Basic- few episodes on YouTube. Basically anywhere that hosts an RSS feed, you probably can find yeah, us. Yeah, essentially. And Easy access. We love your feedback, so let us know what books you want us to read, and we'll put them in our lineup. Currently, we have the rest of Narnia kind of ready ready to go in the lineup, but, you know, we might take a break from Narnia. We might go into some other worlds and explore some other themes and ideas. Like Curious George. Like Curious George. No. Jack just pulled that off the shelf because he saw it on the shelf there. But Jack, you know, let's not, let's not beat around the bush too much. The first question I have for you, Jack, is where, this is our third Narnia book. Yes. Out of the three who have read, and of course, I think you kind of hinted at your feelings before, but what is your overall feeling of the series so far? And then if you could kind of move from your overall impression of the series, I know as we've read it before, but move from that kind of into what you think of this book in general, you know, not necessarily necessarily highlights or beat by beat story moments, but kind of just top level thoughts. So, so far, like I really enjoy how the books are going from they still say they still stay very like young adult 
friendly. Very much, you know, like, hey, this is like what you read like in sixth grade or whatever kind of a thing. I'll say I would even say sixth grade is a little bit too old. Well, I think fourth, fifth grade, right? I guess, yeah. I was, I was going to say fifth grade, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to cover my bases and say like sixth. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's like very simple reads, but they're very good reads, I think. And as these books have gone on, you know, especially in the, this in this one, like the concepts are just massive. Some of these concepts in this book are crazy, but it's kept super simple. Mm-hmm. And with that classic narration, almost play aspect to it. And I really, really enjoy it. The more I read this, the more I read it out loud to Ellie when we're going to bed at night. Um, it's been, you know, a lot of fun. And next part was my feelings on the book. Yeah, just uh, your top level feelings on this book yeah. in general. Love the characters. I love how good characters, especially Edmund and Lucy, like still retain their Narnian like sensibilities. And I love Eustace. Mm-hmm. He's just just this lovable stick in the mud. Well, lovable like halfway through, you know. But before then, he's just like sick in the bowels of the ship half the time. <laughs> but I love Caspian, Drinian, all like a lot of really. Just like super cool characters in this book. I might misremember some of the names, but oh, that's fine. I that's a good call. This book, I think, out of because we talk about how Prince Caspian has a lot of characters, and this book kind of continues that as well, where you just get a lot of different characters, and it builds out more of the entire world of Narnia and the lore. And I like in this one specifically how Aslan doesn't necessarily play a direct role in their journey. He's you one know? of my favorite quotes in the book. But it, I like that his presence is still felt. And in fact, there is a moment later on in the book where I think it is, you know, very, it, it's very clear kind of what C.S. Lewis is going for with Aslan's um, feeling and spirit in the book after this necessary moment. But you know, Jack, I am, I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying yeah, it as fun. well. It's been fun. You know, it's, it's so funny. I was talking to Kate last night girlfriend Kate for any of those who don't know out there and I was talking about how you know oh this book's my favorite but I'm like well no this one's my favorite you know what I mean I keep going back and forth I'm like oh well this one's good I'm like well they're all good and I feel like especially nowadays it's so rare to just enjoy something for the simplicity of it I want to take you on a little bit of a little bit of a side tangent here Jack but first let's taste this root beer that you brought I was about to mention I think you saw my hand going over like on so to continue the tradition the from our, our sister podcast uh double take i'll pass it over to jack because he brought a new root beer for us All to right, try so on this short segment of the the rb cast, root beer it, cast. the rock and Trick collection presents yeah. the root beer cast you know the, those like up and down the guitar um really horrible like windows movie maker like just okay another tangent on top of this already small tangent i hate i'm so i'm sorry this might make people mad i hate strong word i really dislike the Jimi hendrix rendition of um the star spangled banner or what i think that's just a that, that's a whole topic for like, no i know that's, but i'm saying like that whole I, guitar I thing know. is what it sounds like and my like my rendition is exactly what it sounds like anyways I might actually have the like, the song wrong, but anyways, no, no, I it just going just, back. That's just a huge I know. statement to th- just throw out there. <laughs> going back to this root beer, so it's a guarana root beer. It's not like a guarana root beer per se, but it has guarana in it, which is not usually in regular root beers. Um, the name of the root beer is Balls 
B-A-W-L-S. Funny name. And they're little, like, nodules or balls, you could say, on the bottle. So, Charlie, we poured them into some glasses here. There's no bottle opening. You want to dink the glasses? Uh, you know what? Let's actually dink the empty bottles because it'll, it'll be a better dink than if we dink our glasses. Because we remember we dinked our glasses last time. It was like, <laughs> it was like, crunk. Yeah. yeah. That was real sharp there. Jeez. <laughs> now I'll take a sip. Oh, I got the hint. You know what? Take another sip here. It's just. Coming from somebody who drinks mainly LaCroix, why does it have to be so freaking sweet, man? Like, you could. I okay. Could, I'm going to already punch back on this is not that sweet like, i think that all. just shows you how i'm just not used to drinking soda okay do you have what do you, what do you get from starbucks okay so i get when i get like my normal coffee drink mm-hmm. is normally has a bunch of espresso in it and like one or two pumps of sweetener if that that's uh, that sweetener is probably as much sugar as is in this mm, i don't think those so. concentrates of syrup i don't think so i think so we gotta see how much sugar is in a, one of those pumps we're not totally right now. Anyways, this has let's see, uh, twenty-seven grams of sugar for one bottle, mm-hmm. which, in comparison to other root beers, is way less. We're talking the average sugar in the root beer is like sixty grams. Yeah, it's horrific. Which I stay away from those usually, except Sprechers. That's the that's the only exception. But this root beer, not a fan of it. I don't think it's good. See, I, I actually tend to like this one more. I still think I could t- you could tone down the sweetness by half, and it might be perfect for me. It's not it's not even like a sweetness thing, or that it's like too little, too much, or anything. It's just the overall flavor of it is really forgettable. It tastes like a very like a very forgettable root beer. And if I'm having a root beer, I want to be like, ooh, that's a good root beer. So all overall, balls, might as well drop it. <laughs> Back to the segment. I think I'm regretting having the root beer segment in my show here. That's okay, though. Yeah, then there it is, exiting out. But to get back to my tangent, I recently watched the, not all of, but the uh, Chronicles of Narnia movie. came out in 2005. And it's funny, because, like, watching that movie from the beginning up until probably, like, the river scene in that movie, if for anybody who has seen that before, the movie, I think, is, like, really, really good up Wait, until the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Lewis, and Wardrobe. Okay. came out in 2005. Like I said, but that movie is really, really good up until they get to this point in the river where like it just if you get like 20 minutes of filler action, which doesn't feel like it's necessary at all. But it's funny when watching that movie and I was talking to Kate and I said, you know, it's interesting having to flesh out this entire world and like show it visually, because the moment you do that, you start having to ask all these other questions. Like I was like, why the hell is Tumnus carrying packages? Where do you get the packages from? Where? Why is there... Well, that's in the that's in the book, though. He's carrying a few parcels. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. When you translate it from the simplistic book to a movie, suddenly you start asking these more realistic questions because mm-hmm. everything is so much more real. And so you're like, oh, how would it work like that? Why, 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 why is it like okay, that? I see what you're saying. I see what you're Whether saying. Whether as when it's in this book, you kind of just read the black and white words and you're like, okay, yeah, sure. And so it's, I think, a really interesting uh, kind of interpretation of that. Like I said, I think that first movie and especially the music in the beginning is really good. I really like how it starts off with the bombing, and they go to the house. Jake, if you haven't watched it, Jack, I would watch it again. 
I think it's, it's been of, a long time. Interesting watching so. it after reading the book, I will say. That's, okay. That's I wonder, you know what? I'm going to watch it tomorrow with Ellie or something. Yeah. She might like it. And in fact, uh, that's actually something that Kate said is like, you know, maybe if Ellie's having trouble picturing it, like showing her like, oh, hey, this is the story you read, you know, like what might be kind of a cool little thing to show her. But I was thinking, you know, I think the best way if you want to do Narnia visually, because I know they went all the way up. I think they did Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which it must have. Yes, I think it was horrible because I never saw it. I don't even think I saw Prince Caspian. I saw a thing. I think I saw a trailer for it and then I just never watched it. But I am going to check them out the discs. I'm kind of morbidly curious, but I was thinking about the best way to do these if you were to do these novels uh, you know in some kind of visual format and i really think you'd have to do them animated and i'm thinking like some kind of almost ponyo cross it with maybe some kind of other style that is a little bit darker not quite as cute as ponyo is i think you'd also kind of have to go a little more old school less like 3d maybe a good balance of like how the yeah. berserk movies were well, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like they really could do a lot. And I think it with it being animated, that would take away that suspension of disbelief by seeing real people doing it and stuff. Because it is kind of just interesting when, you know, I was thinking about all these questions like, why is it like this? Why is it like that? And I'm like, you know, I didn't even think about those when I read the book. But it's because the book is so simple and that's all there is. Yeah. And it almost works better as a fairy tale. So. A lot of parts in this, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader especially, I'm like, this could be broken up into like an hour long episode by itself. Like each of these different islands that they visit. Right. I'm like, this would be sick. Especially some of these parts that we'll discuss later. I was mm-hmm. thinking, man, this would be, if this was done right, this would be absolutely oh. horrifying or absolutely like awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. Well, let's go ahead and flip through these pages. I was going to say just dive into it, but I don't want to say that. Let's flip through these pages. Jump right in. And jump right in. So we start off, I think, in a very great way with the, uh, I believe it starts off with the description of Eustace. Eustace, which is great. Really a good tone setter for this book. And Eustace is really great. I mean, I love the first line of this book is just. I think one of the best opening lines we've read, which is, there is a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. I mean, what? Eustace Clarence <laughs> Scrub. Like, what a uh, <laughs> what a good, just, way to open your book. But, of course, you get this horrible description of this kid and his parents, Harold and Alberta, who he doesn't call mom and dad. He calls, he calls Harold and Alberta, and they're very well-to-do, sound very posh, very uppity. And, of course, his cousins, the Pevensies, come to visit, and it's Lucy and Edmund. And this is marks the first time that uh, Peter and Susan aren't really involved. Because yeah, Peter's off with the professor, which, little side note, he's like, yeah, he, like, lost his house, lost all his money, and I was, like, in a cottage. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? why? I did think that was an interesting detail. That's a, It's strange. And so I'm kind of, I would like to know a little backstory there. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's ever really explained why. But then it says Susan's off in America, America with, you know, their parents. Yeah. So, and, and so, you know, Edmund and Lucy are stuck with Eustace and Eustace is just awful. I mean, he, from the get go, not, I mean, just, just the one of us annoying characters, not in the way that Edmund was like such a dick, but Eustace is just like annoying. Like, yeah. I, I, I feel like I've known a kid like him. So Jack, yes. tell me, tell me about your first impression. So of I Eustace. like Eustace a lot because he's a really good, like description of what a child is like at that age of like 10 12 years old or however old he is it's it's around there um i think it's i think he's like 12 or 13 i was gonna say it's interesting they never mention ages 
I want to say, because Edmund's older than Lucy. Edmund's got to be like 15, 16. Lucy's you got to like imagine. 14. Yeah, you got to imagine that it's probably around that starting of your teenage years that you cannot get into Narnia anymore. And then Eustace is younger than Lucy. So Eustace is like 12 or 13. Anyways, so you you know, like you said, you always like, you know one kid that's like this. We knew someone like this. We lived next to him when we were kids. You know, who's just kind of this know-it-all, like doesn't, but doesn't really know Anything. that much. Yeah. I love the description of he read all the wrong books, you know, to be that's equipped a, to deal with Narnia. That's a great. I love how they reference that a couple line. of times. Yeah. Um, he was like, he read books on, you know, politics and the social, like, you know, climate, shipping and lanes, and shipping and lanes, and all. <laughs> so he read all, you know, the bad books to be yeah. like on an adventure. Uh, so he's, I don't know, he's great. And I just remember like in the audio book, which I couldn't find. On YouTube, like for free, I didn't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, focus on the family version where he's like drowning in the water, and he's like, "I'm just gonna smash the picture. That's what I'll do." And he's like going up to the picture to try to smash it when like the magic's taking taking them to Narnia. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just he's such a whining little boy, and it's really entertaining how he just interjects half the time. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And you know, going from that point. Our entrance into Narnia, I think, is one of the cooler entrances we've seen so far. I do still think the wardrobe and, like, kind of backing into that forest is such a cool, like, mm-hmm. just visual thing of, like, oh, the coats become trees suddenly. It's just, you're there. This 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 one is a really cool one. And the Prince Caspian one I like because it's so sudden, you know, yeah. how they get called. But this one is cool. Like, this one is just, like... There's something... I feel like everyone pictures, even though it's descriptive, the description is like very fitting and done very well. Everyone pictures it differently in their heads because it's hard to really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. imagine how. Okay, is this picture growing in size? Are they shrinking into the picture? Is the water actually coming out of the in picture the and the picture is growing? Yeah, and then they fall. They fall into the picture, but the water fills up the room. Like there's so many different details that happen. Yes. And like I said, it's described well, and so you know what's happening, but as far as picturing it in your head, everyone mm-hmm. kind of pictures it a little bit differently, I feel yeah. like. So, I mean, how did you picture it, Jack? I pictured, because Eustace, like I said, you, yeah, Eustace at one point goes up and like is going to smash the picture. But like at this point, it's like a huge picture mm, is what I yes. picture it being. And so he's delirious, and it's like, this is all just a trick. This is, has to be some kind of like magic trick that, that, that they learned. Edmund and Lucy are like holding on to one another because they know, hey, this is like obviously Narnian. But Edmund's going to stop Eustace from smashing the picture. But by this time, it's like bigger than like the room. And so the room is gone basically at this point. And then they fall into Narnia. And then I love how what he expects to see the picture frame when you turn mm-hmm. around, but it's not there. Yeah. And that, so I don't know. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Eustace says, I'll smash the rotten thing. Cried That's Eustace. what I'll do. And then several things happened at the same time. Eustace rushed forward towards the picture. Edmund, who knew something of magic, sprang after him, warning him to look out and to not be a fool. Lucy grabbed at him from the other side and was dragged forward. And by this time, either they had grown much smaller or the picture had grown bigger. It's left up to Eustace tried to jump to pull it off the wall and found himself standing on the frame in front of him was not glass, but the real sea and wind and waves rushing up the frame as they might to a rock. 
<laughs> he lost his head and clutched at the two other two who had managed to jump up beside him. There was a second of struggling and shouting, and just as they thought they had got their balance, a great blue roller surged up around them, swept them off their feet, and drew them down into the sea. Yeah, so it really sounds like... That it, was you a- know the way I picture it, right? So it's almost like, you know that effect in movies, like in Lord of the Rings, I think is the easiest one, where Frodo's looking down the path and he hears the ring wraith scream and like the background seems like it comes forward towards you. Oh, that's a camera trick. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So that's almost like what I picture the picture doing is it like zooms towards you, but like that feeling where it's like pressing closer Mm -hmm. into where like our world is like pushing you out. And so they like are on the frame and I... (laughs) And that description of the wave like surrounding them, it's like, it's almost like it comes from behind. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they... Might as well have just been standing in a frame, and then as soon as they left, like it's gone or whatever. Yeah, and they're gone, and then they're in there, and the Don Shutter pulls around, picks them up, and of course it's Caspian. And it hasn't been that long since they've seen Caspian. Two years? I want to say it's three years. Two or three. Since he was coronated. Mm-hmm. And he's like done all this stuff. And it's really cool, I think, seeing Caspian again, especially after going from Lion the Witcher Wardrobe to Prince Caspian, where there's this huge time difference. It's really sad. You're like, man, the Narnia that like. You know, the great kings, the four kings created, or two kings and queens created is kind of gone. But in this one, you kind of get that nice continuity. They really kind of take it forward and, you know, it goes directly off an idea of Prince Caspian where Caspian the Tenth is now sailing after the lords that his uncle Miraz sent away. Mm-hmm. And they're just so happened to be pulled in on this journey. And it's great. I mean, like you said earlier, you mentioned all the characters. you got Drenian. Of course, Reepicheep is... The board this boat as well. Yes, Reaper Cheap. So if you guys remember, he's from Prince Caspian. Uh-huh. He's the leader of the Talking Mice. And I love the fact, well, I mean, this is not really spoilers, but near the end, he's like, if I go, then Peepa Cheap will be the leader. And I'm like, what, what, is, what, what are, are the other mice what, names? What are these names? Meepa Cheap? Creepa Cheap? Creepa Cheap? Eepa Cheap? And of course... You know, we're not going to, as with chapters, we're not going to be describing the book beat by beat. If you want to read the book, of course, read it. I will it. say a little bit of feedback yeah. from our mother who listened to the oh. uh, previous Narnia episodes. She kind of wishes we went more in order. More in order, like, for the beats of the story? Yes. Oh, we are this time. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, like, like, because I know for, especially the line that's in the wardrobe, we, we did jump around, around a, a lot. lot. Yeah. But, you know, for this one, I think because of the islands and the way it yes. breaks it up. I and that's it's, a very, it's very, almost uh, very, you know, sectioned in its own way. That's a very good piece of feedback and something that I actually was already kind of planning to do with this one. So there you go, Mom. Thank you. That's great. And so, of course, they're going after all of the lords and their names. Revelion, Burn, oh, what was Argos, Mavromorn, Octesian, Restamar, and Roop. Which Roop out of all of them is the easiest one to remember. And maybe I only remember it because Caspian's like, oh, I always forget it. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Roop. That's the one you don't remember, Caspian. Mm-hmm. And he forgets it later, too, which is such a nice detail. And, of course, Reepicheep is going because apparently when he was in a cradle, a dryad spoke this verse over him that's where the sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet. Doubt not, Reepicheep, to find all you seek. There is the utter east. Which I really like that utter east, like the very, very edge. And from the get-go, the idea of this book, I think immediately gets me. They're like, hey, yeah, we're sailing to the ends of the world, guys. Find these lords. We're sailing through waters they don't know. And, of course, at the beginning, it's kind of light because they're going to the Lone Islands. And so, you know, you kind of slowly progress past the point of, hey, nobody's really mapped this anymore. We don't really know what's out here. And I love 
love, love that feeling. I think it's one of the best in what just like an easy way to get people in is this adventure, this journey, like this true on the seas adventure. So Jack, thinking back to uh, the Don Treader itself, the ship itself, what do you think of the Don Treader? So I picture the Don Treader, the way it's described, it very much reminds me of like a Viking longship. If it wasn't a longship, if it was more of a, what do you think of like a classic, like seafaring giant boat? I love how it's described as being very brilliant in color. Isn't the mast purple? I don't quite remember. I don't know. So, something like, it's a very like brilliant color. Um, so overall, I'm just like, this is like a super cool looking yeah. ship. So it's interesting that they mentioned that it's not as big as you think it would be. It just has that single mast and has, of course, the rowers. And it's kind of mentioned that like Narnia has really lost a lot of its um, seafaring power when Miraz was in charge and the Telmarines were in charge. And so, because they were scared of the sea. And so Caspian has kind of been bringing back this seafaring adventuring side to Narnians, which is really cool. And apparently Caspian has just been doing a great job as a king. I mean, Dude, yeah, doing great to care of the giants and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, he takes care of the giants. It's all great. I mean, it's fantastic. Beautiful. But I think going directly to it, I mean, we hit pretty, pretty quickly is you have a lot of buildup between uh reaper cheap and eustace eustace like for some reason <sighs> sorry eustace for some reason thinks it's a great idea to go and grab reaper cheap's tail and swing him around which why like even though, like this a little annoying kid like i just couldn't imagine like doing this and <laughs> Cheap stabs him a couple times. Yeah, like perks his arm or his. It was just great. Yeah. And I like how he's sick and Lucy tries to give him the vial and he's like, I'm sure this is beastly. And he's like, Oh, I feel better though. Yeah, he's like, well, Oh, yeah, and he, bring, hopefully bring It's more. so good because he's like, I can't believe we've been going through the storm. And they're like, What are you talking about? That's just the waves, man. Like, I just need a cup of water. Everyone's <laughs> like, Look, we're all not doing good right now. And he's like, Oh, you're, you're, you're jumping ahead there. I'm just saying, like, Eustace yeah. is like, he's this way over the entirety of the book. Yeah. Well, and halfway. You know what's funny? In reading it through this time, I think Eustace is definitely like an annoying character. He can be frustrating at times. But ultimately, he's a nice grounding agent to the book. Because he asks and he says a lot of things that I feel like normal people would ask or say. You know what I mean? Like he's talking about... And at the beginning, it's played off as kind of funny because he's like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll hit you guys with a disposition. I'll have him muzzled and tame. You're like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. But then later on, you know, Eustace is the one who's like, hey, by the way, the stars are just balls of fire, man. Like our world is round and it has that great line. And I, I know I'm skipping ahead here where Caspian's like, wait, your world is round. Dude, you didn't that's tell my me. Part, so, yeah, OK, <laughs> which is good. But, well, you know, we'll get to that later. And so I like how Eustace is there and he's a great counterbalance to everything because i think without eustace it would have literally just been a ship full of people who are like yes adventure all the time nothing's ever holding us back i mean and eustace i think is a really good grounding agent within Mm -hmm. all of this and so jack everyone as we kind of meet on the ship seems pretty nice pretty good first destination the lone islands so jack tell me about the lone islands what do you think of the Lone Islands? What do you think of what goes down there? Because I really like kind of what how it goes down on the Lone Islands 
And I like how it shows a little bit of who um, Caspian is, you know, the type of king he is and the type of strategy he uses. Yeah, really like there's cool. a reason that he's been successful. And it's not necessarily his strategy. It's actually one of the Lord's strategy, but... Lord Burn. 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 So, so in the Lone Islands, this is where they first meet Lord Burn, which is like one of the guys that they're actually, you know, looking for. And it's kind of interesting how early on they find their first Lord. But mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, you know, just I don't want to travel anymore and um, I'm going to chill here is kind of what happened. But... You know, you kind of find this, like, corruption taking place. And there's, like, this under-mounting, like, slave trade yeah. where... Is it all three of the Edmund Eustace and All Lucy of them. And Caspian. And they originally get caught, and the slavers go and sell... Or Caspian is bought by Lord Byrne. That's and Lord Byrne's right. like, hey, I bought you because your face reminded me of my old master. Of course, Caspian the Ninth. Caspian the Ninth, Caspian the Conqueror, Caspian. What a, and so, a good, what a good name Caspian is. Caspian's great name. So, but I love, like you said, like there some some strategies employed, and how it's like, hey, we're gonna go and talk to a guy here who has not been paying Narnia, who has not been doing anything, who has had this whole slave trade going on. We're gonna make it seem like we're this giant force coming in from Narnia mm-hmm. to you know evaluate the land, basically. And I love how. When they're talking, I forget, just like the Duke. I, I know it's it, before the Duke, because uh, Lord Byrne gets made the Duke. Before It's the so, governor. The governor, sorry. So, and the governor, he's up there, like, they all, like, burst in after making this huge scene. I know. You know? And he's just, like, has his papers, and he's like, well, you know, that's not in the, in the schedules. <laughs> I know. And, and, like, finally, like, I think... Is it Caspian and Lord Byrne, or maybe Journey, and go up and like flip the table in front of them, and yeah. they're like, they're like, like, look at us, yeah. like you know, we're right in front of you. And it's like, hey, we're gonna stop this whole thing you're doing. He's like, oh, that's gonna take up years in our economy, and you know, so Troy just keeps turning me down. You're just pretty loud, aren't you? <laughs> well, what if I'm not the loud one? You're the one who's just talking quietly. No, I don't think that's it. Wow. But no, I agree. I think that's. It's so good. Like, even the guy, he's like, you know, they only by appointment may you come in. Yeah. Only and by, they're like, picture, only by appointment. Smashes <laughs> like an ink bottle in his But face. it's funny because Caspian's like, you know, I don't want anybody to fear this arrival. We're going to have a feast and wine. And the guards are like, yeah. They like join in the <laughs> like, cheering too yeah, because they're, yeah, okay, they okay. hear this idea of like free wine and they're like, yeah, sweet dude. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the Lone Islands have just kind of gone to, you know, corruption and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. To see Caspian kind of take it over, put Lord Byrne in power, and essentially goes, and then he goes and ends the slave trade with Pug. And he's like, "Hey, I know, dude, you're not doing that." And I like how nobody wanted to buy Eustace, which cracks me up. I mean, <laughs> like nobody, just this miserable looking child, basically. <laughs> he's just, you know, miserable. Surely someone wants him for free. No, and nobody takes him. Like he tried to like add him in as like a bonus gift <laughs> to like other. <laughs> Nobody, still just like nobody wants wants him at all. So, interestingly, as we go on here, I really like how Eustace starts to keep a diary and you start to get those entries. You get really get like Eustace's perspective on what's been happening. Day 16. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, it's definitely a couple of pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I remember this part distinctly from the audiobooks, where there's like the scrawling of the pen. Yeah. 
He's like, because like his book had just like dried off enough to where he can start writing in it again or whatever. And it's yeah. like, I'm feeling awfully thirsty. And I just went up to get a drink of water or whatever. Yeah. Right. So. And so I believe they go through and they hit the really bad storm and their ship gets like beaten up, which, man, I, you know, it, like some parts of this voyage sound so great. But then like you do, like they do, he, C.S. Lewis does kind of gloss over the fact of like how much time they spend at places and how much time they spend just on the water. He's like, oh yeah, 14 days later. You yeah. know, like that. But yeah, I can't imagine like being stuck, especially on a boat like this where you feel all those waves and that's those storms would be like horrifying like there's a couple of other things that would be horrifying too but eventually they reach i want to make sure i'm not jumping too far ahead here but i reach eventually i think they reach yeah. dragon island i wish i had the book on me but i don't have the book on me so i'm looking at a list of locations but eventually they reach dragon island and the adventures of eustace so i yeah so they finally get to this island after like a horrible Oh, you're just waving your hand. I was like, oh, is everything okay? Um, they get to this island that looks pretty barren. So they, mm-hmm. you know, make port or whatever. They drop anchor. They get to the shore and they go, okay, we need to cut down a tree. Start making right. a new mast. Start making repairs. Hunting party go out here. Like, Caspian and Journey, like, order this whole thing. And mm-hmm. Eustace is like, oh, what are we going to eat? I don't want to do all this work. I, I'll just um, casually. I love how he, like, you get these inside thoughts where he was like, if I just walk this way all casual, like, no one oh. will even suspect I'm going to run away. Or, you know, it's so great. I he, do like, sorry, let me cut in here. There's a couple of details yeah, yeah. at the start of this chapter I really like. I like how they talk about how strong the Arkenland wind is. And I love how Arkenland sounds as a name. That's just a cool sounding place. But the wine is so strong, you need to mix it with water, which I thought was an interesting detail. But yeah, Eustace, of course. He, like, realizes he can kind of, like, just, like, creep away. He's kind of just, like... Just free off. Oh, man, I'm just going to go pretend like I'm doing something. And he, like, wanders off. But I do love how he, like, wanders up basically like a mountainside almost. Mm -hmm. And looks over the edge and then realizes, I don't know where I am. Yeah. And, like, this fog starts rolling in. And he's, like, going up and down, up and down, trying to, like, remember his way. And meanwhile, I love how it kind of cuts, like, he's up there, like, frantically scrawling. And it's like, everyone's like, mm, this is some good supper. Yeah. I wonder where Eustace They're is. like, where, where is he? And cuts back, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> like running, you know, up yeah. and down. And then eventually makes his way down this valley. And then is like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm in the right place. But then, like, it hits him where he's like, oh, no. Well, that's where the fog kind of clears. And he looks yeah. back, and he's like, the only way, like, he could have really gotten down into this valley is the way he came. Yeah. Which, which is really treacherous really creepy and And so you know that's this is one of the first parts of the book where you kind of get this sense of magic that's going to be persistent within the rest of the book and only get more powerful i feel like yes because there's something that you know obviously you can put it down to down to like just like sheer luck but i do want to say that this is kind of it's one of aslan's weird ways yes and so you know, essentially a test for Eustace. Yeah, we'll get into it a little bit more, but I think it is a good spot to bring it up here because yeah, a lot of this book does feel like they're almost being, not guided, but like shepherded, let's say, by like some kind of invisible force or guide. Like characters will do things that seem to like directly, not necessarily things they wouldn't do, but it's almost like, 
oh, they were meant to do this or they're fated to do this. In fact, a line at the very end of the book does talk about how they didn't really know where to walk, but it was almost like fate guided them. And I thought back and I was like, you know, I wonder if a lot of that, you could trace a lot of that back to just like the influence of Aslan and the influence of this journey. Because it seems like this is a lesson that Eustace needed to learn. And to call attention to it, you mentioned earlier the line about the right books, and I found the little passage here. Mm-hmm. And it says, so this is right when the dragon crawls out. It says yeah, so something. Just, just real quick. So, yeah. So he goes into this valley that he can't escape out of. And he's like, okay, there's nothing in here. But then he sees two, like, columns of black smoke come out of this cave and sees something was crawling. Worse still, something was coming out. Edmund or Lucy or you would have recognized it at once, but Eustace had read none of the right books. The thing that came out of the cave was something he had never even imagined. A long, lead-colored snout, dull red eyes, no feathers or fur, a long, lithe body that trailed on the ground, legs whose elbows went up higher than its back, like a spider's, cruel claws, bat's wings that made a rasping noise on the stone and yards of tail and the lines of smoke were coming out of his two nostrils. He never said the word dragon to himself, nor would it have made things any better if he had had. But yeah, that's a great point. I like how C.S. Lewis even includes like us as the reader in that. He's like, yeah, you know, you, reader, yeah, like, would know, because you you're reading know, the You right already know books. what I'm describing. Like, you already know. I don't even have to <laughs> and say it. It's such a, I think it's such a nice little dig at people who don't enjoy like fantasy stories or anything like that. Like it is, it's such a good little like, no, but like you, reader, you're just you're in the ranks of Lucy and Edmund. You're right there with him. You're not like Eustace. Yeah, you're not a normie. He doesn't know what it is. But yeah, this dragon climbs out and basically dies. Goes to try to drink some water. Yeah, and goes <laughs> just like, dies. Just dies with one claw in the air. One rasping claw. Rasping. And so, yeah. So tell me about what happens next. So he like stands there for a while. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very reminiscent of when Edmund saw like the stone lion. Yes, in the witch's castle, he's there for he doesn't know how long. He's like, this might be a trick. Yep, this could be, you know, it's a way it catches its prey since it's old. I don't know, but so he's there for a long time. I can't remember if he goes up and gets a drink, and then it starts raining. I think he does touch the dragon. He does because that's how he figures out he's dead. Yeah, and then I think he goes in for a drink and starts raining. And then he's like, the only place I can go is the cave the dragon came out of. And so he goes into the cave and lays down. This is where there's a yet another dig. Cut in here, yeah, because he says it again. Yeah. Another dig, which is the same book thing again. He says, most of us know what we should expect to find in a dragon's lair. But, <laughs> as I said before, Eustace had only read the wrong books. They had a lot to say about exports and imports and governments and drains. But they were weak on dragons. That is why he was so puzzled at the surface on which he was lying. And so then it goes on from there to describe, obviously, what's in what's in a dragon's cave. Can you guess, reader? Can you guess? Gold, treasure, gems, jewels, all sorts of things. And I love how he's like, well, I can put these gems, these diamonds in my pockets. They don't have taxes here. I can carry more (laughs) diamonds than gold, you know? And then it's so funny. He finds a bracelet and puts it up past his elbow, which I think is, it's a nice little detail, like, especially for later. And, you know, then he just falls asleep. You know, you know, going back through the book here, there's a part where he says, 
with some of this stuff, I could have quite a decent time here. Perhaps in Kalorman. Which Kalorman is like oh, the worst place that we've heard. That's where like the slaver came from. And so you're like, Eustace, what are you, what are you yeah, talking about? Eustace, um, that sounds like the most fake place or the most real place out of all these fake places. Like, dude, Kalorman. But yeah, of course, Cindy gets the bracelet. And this is another part where it cuts back to everyone finishing up supper. And they have a searching party out looking for Eustace. And they just can't find him. Can't find him. And so they're all kind of worried. But they, uh, so that, and then it cuts back to Eustace. And he's like, oh, wakes up. And it's like, the horror. There's a dragon's claw. Of course, his mate. Just as soon as he moved his right hand. And then, oh, no. Another dragon on his left side, too. This this uh, the audiobook part of this is like the dramatization is so well done, a gnarled claw, you know, and then and so Eustace like panics, makes a break for it, and he's like, it sounds like the dragons are right behind right, him, like, yeah. right next to him, like you know this is all like a trick. Maybe the dragon wasn't dead. He goes out to like jump into the pool, but then stops, and because another dragon's looking out at him from the water, which. If you have no idea, yeah, that's a horrifying image. You yeah. know what I mean? To like, but then he's like, "It's his name, yeah." And so I guess the basically the magic or the curse of the treasure turned useless. Yeah, and it's almost like it's specifically maybe that armband, yeah, that did it. And it, it's good, and it's one of those things though where it seems that, and you kind of learn as you go on because like one of the lords was in the Lone Islands. Of course, one of the lords ends up being this dead dragon at some point. And yeah, it does seem like. They've kind of each met their fate at different points that, like, our party kind of gets tracked into. In many ways, I really like this this book a lot because it feels like a classic D&D adventure. Like, there's, it like, cursed D&D. books. There's, like, magicians. There's do dragons. Think, do you think he was playing D&D with J.R.R. Tolkien? Well, I think it's too old for D&D at that point. I mean... Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, they're... Creating their own D and D at this point, right? Right. I mean, that's 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 kind of the thing. But I really like how it has like that very classic adventure vibe to it, and how it's like, oh, dragons. Oh, of course you were cursed by the thing. And of course he goes, flies over, is able to make contact with a group after some huffing. They're like, all the group is like, oh god, we're basically gonna die fighting this yeah. dragon, guys. They say, all right, everyone, shake hands all around. Let's go out and <laughs> kill a dragon in the morning. Everybody's like, all right, well, it's gonna stay there, I, I guess. Yeah. And then Reaper Chief's like. Can you understand speech? <laughs> it's like, yes, I can. Yeah. So Eustace can't talk, and so he has to basically, you know, somehow, like, sign that he understands them. And then Lucy's like, oh, the pole thing, it's its elbow, you know, and yada, yada, yada. So, But Eustace has his dragons very helpful. He goes and he yeah. gets the mask for them. He catches them a bunch of food. He literally, like, kills the animals. I like how it tells them how he doesn't, like enjoy killing the animals he uses his tail and just kills them so quickly that the animals don't even know that they're dead <laughs> like okay okay like, okay cool. I, I see cool, man. You. i see you but yeah and then it kind of goes on and it gets to the point where they're like well are we gonna like drag him is he gonna like fly like we can't what do we kind of do and eustace kind of knows that like man they might not they might have to leave me but i think a really sweet point in this is that even as eustace kind of sleeps alone because he's like all miserable and while he's very helpful and people are still getting along with him, he, like, hates himself. He feels like he's a monster. And Reepicheep actually is the one who, like, comes and, like, spends time with them and sits and talks with them, which mm-hmm. is such a good, like, 
kind of not fixed to the relationship, but like a good way to like patch up that relationship to like, cause it started yeah. off on such a bad note with you just literally swinging around this mouse by his tail and like, which is like a, the biggest dishonor and talking about how we like wanted to muzzle him and how he's a beast and like, and then it's Reaper cheap who's coming and like comforting this. And it's just, I love that image of like Eustace, this huge dragon and then Reaper cheap little like, mouse just coming up there. Totally brave. And that's like, I was talking to Jack before we started here and Reaper cheap passed. I think it, like would be one of the most annoying and like best friends you would ever have because I love how brave he is. But there are several times where I'm like, Reaper Cheap, like, what about caution? What about thinking about a plan? Reaper Cheap's always like, no, we shall charge in because we are valorous and we will win. It's like, I'm glad you believe that, Reaper Cheap, but I don't know if I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's like, you know, me trying to take on a whole squad by myself. But Jack, we're coming up, I think, to, I think, a pretty impactful part. You know, we're talking Prince Caspian, how. One of the more impactful parts that we felt kind of had deeper meaning was when Lucy was able to see Aslan and other, no one else could, right? And I think we're kind of coming up to a similar part here. I think this book has a couple of parts like that, whereas Prince Caspian, I kind of feel like just has the one. This, of course, is where um, Eustace, kind of at hope's end, right before they're ready to leave, sees Aslan. And he goes and he goes into the pool, or he sees the pool, and Aslan's like, hey... You need to you need to undress. So Jack, kind of walk me through this part, and if it brought any. And now listen, I don't want to. As with everything on chapters, if you just read this part, it was just part of the story. Great, but as you kind of think about this part and the undressing of the scales and how Aslan has to help him and how he's kind of returned to normal, what is your overall impression of well, this yeah, part? So this part, it's it's almost like he's shedding like his older self mm-hmm. is kind of. You know, very simple. Very literally, I think. Read yeah. into it. Um, and to me, like, while I was reading it back, there's not much more to it that I really picked up on other than that. But there's, like, the symbol. there's a symbolism of, like, Aslan helps him. But then there's only so much that, like, uses can do on his own. And mm-hmm. so that Aslan has to step in at some yeah. point. Um, and so he's just, like, this then, like, naked, frail, back to his old self. You know what I mean? And... I think, I think, I don't know, it says something about how, you know, you, you can grow on your own, but it also takes, not like humiliation, but it takes some, you know, self-reflection. You have to be, be able to, you know, be willing to accept your faults and then having others help you overcome those faults if you need it. And Eustace obviously needed it a lot, so... But, like, this whole part feels kind of set up to teach this lesson to Eustace. But, yeah, I think it's great. You know, I think it's great because, you know, Eustace scratches off his, his like, I think he goes through three times he tries it himself, where he tries to scratch off a skin. And each time he's like, oh, I think I got it. And he goes in there and he's like, oh, no, I'm still a dragon. I can't do it. And then, and I'm going to go ahead and just read this passage here. <clears throat> the reading of... I'll do that. Chapter. F- then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was knowing the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy O, but it is such fun to see it coming away. And then Edmund says, I know exactly what you mean. 
Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and just as I thought I had done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt, and there it was, lying on the grass, ever so much more thicker and darker and more knobbly-looking than the others had been, and I was as soft and smooth as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. <laughs> so I like this idea that to become, I think, kind of a better person, and this is the way I read it, right? It it does take, sometimes you can't do it yourself. Like sometimes you can peel off these external layers, like you can change small things. But I think kind of the implication here is that sometimes you need to let yourself go and you need to let, I think in particular with Narnia, I think this is very much like, hey, you have to let God change you, right? I think that's kind of what mm-hmm. I read from this is that ultimately like there's only so much you can do by yourself before you kind of have to lay back and trust and say, hey, like I need help. And only that can, you know, only God can help peel off that deeper layer and actually, you can actually be reborn through that, right? This whole sim, this whole part is very much, I think, a process of the death of the old Eustace and the rebirth of the new Eustace. I mean, I really think it's how he's like fresh and small and like he's like a little, you know, a peeled stick. I always think of when we used to fight with those sticks in the backyards and we used to peel off the skin mm-hmm. and they would have that very like slick kind of like that's exactly what i think of when i think of this appealed switch but what i like about and i guess my overall feeling of c.s lewis and the chronicles of narnia in general when it comes to kind of this allegory and this religious symbolism is that it's not quite i think the ending of this book is really direct when it comes with the lamb turning into the lion of course we'll get to that later but overall though i like how it kind of just gives you the story and what happens. And it doesn't necessarily go, oh, did you know that you have, you can't change yourself? It kind of just tells you the story. Yeah. It kind of just lets the story be a story and lets the reader kind of interpolate or whatever they want from it. Because I can, you can read this as a non-religious person and this still having meaning to you. That's what I was about to say is that you can not be religious and still like it not be like, you know, the most impactful thing in the world, but you kind of understand like the deeper meaning right in a way. And that's and I think especially that's like really unique about C.S. Lewis is that he's able to do that. Yeah. And I think it's easily. And I think it's especially and I'm sure in the last battle it's it gets pretty heavy as well, but in Voyage of the Don Treader especially, it feels like he was really going out of his way to kind of highlight that, especially with some of the stuff that Aslan says later, which I really like as well. But yeah, that is a whole kind of changing of Eustace and really kind of marks, I think, the the ending of the first half of the book, if you will. Yes. Right. Like if you divide this up into two, that's where they leave Dragon Island. Dragon and we get Island. to the two narrow escapes. And so, Jack, tell me about this next island that they go to. What's the name of it? What do they name it? I've honestly... You're talking to someone who's read mm. the book over the course of three weeks. Mm. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> so I know that the great escape is they escape this giant sea serpent, which I love how they describe it as being this really dumb animal, but it's just super imposing. Yeah, no, you got it. No, yeah, you're, you're totally then, right. Wait, how are you seeing the next island? Well, so they encounter the sea serpent first, and then they go to Deathwater Island, okay, but they okay, don't okay. label it Deathwater okay. Island first. Yeah, you're, you're right. I was yeah, just, I was so, just with you. so he goes and they, they Let's see... Let's talk about the sea serpent. I though. love I do how... Like the sea serpent. I, th- I, don't, I forget who sees it first. It might be it might, might have been Drinian or Edmund. I forget who. 
But they see like these rocks as they describe them going <laughs> yeah. like, up and down, like getting closer, like, but also is... moving. Yeah. And then they all drop and like change direction, like head towards them. Mm-hmm. And this is this huge serpent. I'm picturing, oh, like, what's a good something like that everyone's seen as far as like size wise? It's like I don't know, Falcor from Neverending Story is kind of how I picture the serpent looking. Yeah, a kind of dumb looking face. <laughs> kind of a dumb looking face, but it has like, big eyes too. But it's also like kind of a horse's head. Yeah. That's why it kind of reminds me of Falcor, because Falcor kind of has a dog. Falcor is, like, really... Un- we we got to watch that and talk about that. Oh, the, you know that what? That movie Jack, is I think, horrifying. I think we just discovered what our next episode is going to be about. Okay. Wait for that, guys. Coming next week. What was the movie called again? Neverending Story. Never story. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I love the serpent thing. And, of course, it kind of, like... I like how nothing they really do does anything to it when it first kind of loops over the ship i love how eustace goes and he takes he has caspian's sword and he yeah, like his second, hacks at it and everybody's like sword everyone's like that's a really brave thing to do but it didn't do anything it yeah. breaks it like <laughs> and then reaper is like we must push yeah push it off or whatever and of course they push the loop before it kind of closes over the ship and the ship squeezes out breaks off the tail and they go for it and the serpent kind of like Turns well, around and is like, wait, what happened? Yeah, I think where, the ship where broke. Did it go? Well, I like how they're like, like Lucy, like someone go grab the axe because we have to cut this off yeah. because when it gets to the tail, we can't push it over the tail. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just because the pressure them pushing and the thing squeezing snaps the tail off. Yeah. 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 They're able to escape. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, and it's, I like how, because in my mind, whenever I think of these huge sea creatures like that, I always like give them, like they always seem very deadly. And so I like how this he describes this thing as not very smart because I was like, how if this thing was smart and came after him, I don't know they could do anything. Like could have been the magic. No. So then after this they encounter Deathwater Island, which this is this one's interesting. I do like this one because again reminds me so much of a D and D thing because they're given draining and the rest of the crew. Are basically told to go, like, oh, let's go this way. But then everyone else is like, well, what if we go this way? Yeah. And he's like, all right. Like, I doesn't make any sense, but I guess. And so I think they get off to kind of gather supplies. And yes. then Caspian, Edmund, Lucy, Eustace, Reaper Cheap, and that's it. They go off to kind of explore the island a little mm-hmm. bit. They come across this pond. And well, they come across the, uh, the like bone or not bones, but uh, like armor first. Well, yeah. So they yeah. come across like this armor. It's like all tattered, and they're like, "Oh, what? What could this have been?" Yeah. You know, like we're not sure. And then they just look over to so like I forget which side, but then they see this pond, and they're like, "Well, what's that down there?" It's like yeah. it's like a, they see this golden statue. Yeah. And then they're all thinking, "Well, how could we bring it up? Like it's gold. If it's real gold, there's no way we could take it." Yeah. Um, and then I. Th- think yeah so at first edmund's like here i'm gonna see how deep it is so yep. he takes his spear and puts it in the water and while while caspian's holding him over the water so i picture this like use uses edmund's at like this 45 degree angle holding the spear out holding on the caspian's hand while he's like trying to get the depths of this water yeah i think it's too heavy and he almost like falls in but yeah. caspian you know pulls, pulls him back, back drops the spear and they're like wait the spear looks gold yeah it's like it must be a reflection and then edmund like looks down and sees his, his boots. boots yeah the like toes the boot of his boots are gold. Are gold yeah and it's really 
It is really great because, like, the moment they realize that whatever you dip into this water turns gold, it's almost Ooh. like this enchantment is on them. Over, yeah, over Edmund and Caspian. It's really. Yeah, and Edmund's like, what are you talking about? I'm the. I'm, yeah, a I'm king. the high king. I'm the higher king. Like, than no, you. This is Which mine. is actually not the first time it happens. This happens later on as well. Well, this is the first time it happens. It happens. Well, this is, sorry, not the only time this happens. This is the first time it happens, but it does happen again later. Yes, 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 yes. And it's, you know, again, I know I'm reading lots of passages from this, but I kind of wanted to incorporate some more passages from this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, (laughs) so it has come to that, King Edmund. Draws his sword. Has it? Said Caspian, laying his hand on his sword hilt. Oh, stop it, both of you, said Lucy. That's the worst of doing anything with boys. You're also swaggering, bullying idiots. Oh, her voice died away into a gasp, and everyone else saw what she had seen. Across the gray hillside, above them, gray for the heather, was not yet in bloom, without noise and without looking at them, and shining as if he were as bright as sunlight through the sun had, in fact, gone in, passed with slow pace the hugest lion that human eyes had ever seen. In describing the scene, Lucy said afterward, He was the size of an elephant, though at another time she only said the size of a cart horse. But it was not the size that mattered. Nobody dared to ask what it was. They knew it was Aslan. And nobody ever saw how or where he went. They looked at one another like people waking from sleep. What what were we talking about? said Caspian. Have I been making rather an ass of myself? Sire, said Reepicheep. This is a place with a curse on it. Let us get back on board at once, and if I might have the honor of naming this land, I shall call it Death Water. Dun, dun, dun. Which is really good. I mean, again, I think like this book is just good. I like how Aslan again shows up as like this kind of not directly involved, but like a guide. Like he snaps them out of it because mm-hmm. you got to wonder. I mean, like they probably would have killed each other over this. Yeah, I in like it's. It's really interesting how, again, there's this magical presence that's only getting stronger the, the farther, farther east they that they go. Yeah. And, you know, Caspian Evan, perfectly level-headed, you know, perfectly like normal dudes. And then they see this magical pool. They realize the riches that anyone could have. Oh, yeah. You know, Caspian's like, I claim this for all of Narnia. Like, it's going to be, we're going to be the richest, you know. And then <laughs> Edmund's like, well, hold on. Hold, hold on. on. You know, yeah. and like you said, it's just this thing that overcomes. But then Aslan, yeah, like a guide, is like, this is not the way. Not the way. And they forget it. They forget. And they leave. And they don't tell anybody they don't, else. They don't tell anyone. And I like how Reepcheep names it Deathwater, so nobody else will go there. Which is really cool, like, cool thing to say. Cool. Now, of course, then they sail on. They go on for a long time, and I believe they go on long enough to where they start to worry that if they don't hit land soon, that, like, they won't have any yeah, food. Yeah, at this return. point, they're like, if we don't turn around now, we're not going to yeah. be able to make it back. Which, that's horrifying. Horrifying, yeah. Horrifying. Yeah, like, but of course, they come upon this land, and honestly, you know, I think there's a direct, like, really creepy part later that happens later on, but this part is creepy as well. When they go on this land, it's, like, perfectly manicured. Nobody's been here before. It doesn't seem like a long time. Like, you have to picture they've been sailing for a long time. They're sailing off the map at this point. I mean, you picture, like, a Minecraft map, and you're like, oh, looking at it, and this is your dot. Not even on the map anymore. You can't even know where you are. Yeah. And there's island, perfectly manicured. I almost picture it as almost obviously Narnian, but, like, one of those old, like, giant plantation houses. 
Kind of like that, yeah. That's kind of how I pictured this thing looking like. And... Or like a super deluxe Lucy, cottage. you know, everyone else kind of goes ahead. Lucy bends down to tie her shoe, and then she starts hearing a, a thumping, Jack. And what what does she hear after so, this thumping comes through? Yeah, they, she hears this thumping. It's like shaking everything. And she's like, I... Okay. And I think she backs up to this tree. Uh-huh. And it's just sitting there. And then just hears these voices. And this guy's like, all right, when they come back to the ship... We're gonna kill him or whatever. Watch y'all, Captain. Watch y'all. Everyone's, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, we'll kill him. I never, never said a better word myself. Never had a better plan. Never had a better plan. <laughs> He's like, and then we'll make him do what we want. Oh yes, I've never heard of a better plan. Oh, of so course, great, of Captain. Course. So great. Yeah. Brilliant. And they all, they all thump away. Yeah. And I'm like, that is, it's creepy. Awful. Yeah. It's awful. And then Lucy sprints after the party. Yeah. You know. So. And. Of course, I think this is where it's nice to not go beat by beat through the story because this part is a longer part. And basically they discover that there's this like perfect house there. And Eustace is like, well, maybe it's abandoned. And Caspian's like, no, there's smoke coming out of the chimney. Idiot. And then they're like, well, you know, let's go back after Lucy kind of tells them all this stuff. This is where Reba Cheap's like, let's find this invisible enemy. Yeah, and you're like, Reba Cheap, what? Yeah, you're like, okay, I'm Reba sorry, Cheap, but no. sure, man. Let's and find I love how there's... Um, it's like, well, well, will he fight them down to the ship? They'll come help us. And then Eustace is like, it's just going to look like we're being weird. <laughs> you know? Like doing some RP stuff. Like, lightning exactly. bolt. Lightning <laughs> exactly. But they go back down, and of course, they're confronted by their invisible th- their foes, and they're like, we'll prove it. And they throw a spear, and they're like, well, yeah, when the spear leaves us, it's real. And so it feels like a very real danger. And they basically want Lucy. They've been waiting for some girl to come in and read this magician's book, because apparently a long time ago, this magician cursed them, made them ugly, and them trying to like save themselves, turn themselves invisible. And so they're like, but only a girl can do it. It has to be you, Lucy. And Lucy's like, well, I don't want to do it at night. Well, and well, also, you, you gloss over the fact that I think Caspian or someone is like, hey, like, why don't you just have like one of the women of your people doing it? He's like, no, we're too scared. <laughs> Yeah, and so they, there's this magician up there. Yeah, and so you're like, you've what? literally just been waiting, hoping someone would come so, yeah. to like all the way out of here. And I, I don't think they ever give you exactly how long, but it's been a good little while. Yeah. So and so you know they basically convince him, and they have they get served dinner, and it turns out these invisible people aren't that cruel. They're just very single minded and focused, and they're always like the group is always agreeing with the leader, and like I no one can ever get like a word out because like they're always just chattering, and it sounds like annoying. I love the part in the book where they're eating at the table and they're like bouncing the soup. Since well, yeah, and he's like, <laughs> you know, it's nice to have a conversation at the table when you're not just hearing agreements yeah. over like the most mundane things. Yeah. Like, oh, it's dark at night. It always does. And I was like, yes, he's right. Never he's said right. true. It's, right. it's, it's dark at night. <laughs> it's good. It's good. <laughs> Ooh, the wind's bound to blow sometimes. Oh, could oh, yeah. be more true. It'll be morning the next day. Yeah, better said. More, better said morning the next day. <laughs> that part is so funny to picture because oh, I can see great. everyone else sitting there like, you know, one hand on their head like, oh, oh my God. My yeah, and God. like they're bouncing the soups and like you're like, it was like, well, maybe they're messy. frogs or maybe like what yeah, are, are they? Just, like, are they grasshoppers? Which is I mean, that's pretty good. Pretty good. I Pretty good guesses. I, you would not expect what these are. And that's what I think is so great about this. Anyway, so Lucy goes up, and of course we get to, again, one of... This book has so many good parts, but the Magician's book is an awesome it's, part. It's so cool Can how... we talk about Go ahead. the prank this magician plays? Lucy walks up the stairs, and it's all creepy and quiet. And I know exactly what she's talking about, just that feeling of, like, you're not supposed to be here. You know what this reminds trouble. me of? 
going up on the second floor of our grandparents' house when yeah. we were kids. Yeah. And they had those uh, masks hanging in the hallway. Yeah. And you're like, I'm just up here to use the bathroom, man. Well, yeah. And so they go, and then Lucy, like, thinks she catches, like, the magician. She looks back, and it's it's this mirror that has, like, a hair on it and a beard. And so she looked like the magician, and you're like, what? Yeah, definitely <laughs> what? strange. Strange. So, and it gives the impression that these little invisible guys have come up here before in the past and seen that. And you bet they were, like, horrified. They're like, oh, my God, he's right there. He's right there. But eventually she goes and sees this old ancient book. She wants to close the door to the room, yeah. but she can't close it. Yeah. Um, and she reads this book, and Jack, walk me through some of this book stuff, because this book stuff is really cool. So I love, love how there's a very specific detail, and she opens the book, and right away the spells start. There's no title. Mm-hmm. There's no introduction. There's no glossary, anything. It's just the spells start. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that sticks out is how lifelike all these pictures yes. of the spells like actually are. And the more she flips through, the more she's like, oh, like I feel like I can actually like, see these moving or whatever. Yeah. And she gets to a certain uh, part where it kind of starts taking her over a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she gets overwhelmed and is like, whoa, this one can make you beautiful beyond all imagination. Like yeah. the most beautiful person in the world. And then she sees herself like become the most beautiful. Almost like... You know the dream part in the labyrinth? Yes. Almost like that is what she's experiencing. Yeah, like she's not good, in the room anymore. Call. She's looking around, but she's not really moving. She's looking around, and everything is, if she was beautiful, this would happen. Susan would be, you know, not talked about anymore. and She'd be the most popular and successful in her world and everything. And um, Can I cut in here? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Lucy says, I will say the spell, said Lucy. I don't care. I will. She said, I don't care, because she had a strong feeling that she mustn't. And I, I, I really like that line. Like, like she knows that she shouldn't, but she's like, well. <laughs> I do enjoy how she indulges. She, so she doesn't indulge in that spell. Mm-mm. But she skips to four a little bit, and there's a spell of basically eavesdropping. Yeah. I don't know where, what people are going to think about you. And she sees these two girls she knows from school. Well, like and it's important England. to point back that when she looks back, she is going to cast the beauty spell. But she sees a lion. And she, she like kind of freaks out. That's right. And the lion's almost like moving or snarling. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And she's talking. Well, she, she says this spell to hear what people really think about her. And it's like a classmate that's like, oh, Lucy was too much this year. I yeah. don't know if I'll ever hang out with her ever again. And she's like, oh, what a little beast and i was like oh. <laughs> i know i thought the same thing when she was like little beast i was like oh okay and that's not what i thought you were gonna say but <laughs> you wretched wretched beast and then there's a great i love i have to and like i you know it's so funny it's like i when i started this i was like man i don't want to go beat through beat for the story but like this whole part is so good that i want to go beat through beat like i love how she reads that story that's like for refreshment of the spirit and she reads it like three pages and she's, and like, she's oh, like, oh, I that's love that story, but she can't remember. It was so nice that it was about a cup and oh, what else? Tries she like, to turn the pages back. back. Yeah, and you and, can't oh. turn the pages once you flip past them. And if that right there is not just, I think that's a lot. And I think it happens to me a lot with video games where I'm like, God, I really wish I could just not play that. Like, I would f- wipe that from my mind and see it again. Like, I wish I could wipe Lord of the Rings from my head and see it again for the first time. Yes. In that, I think... That's exactly what that feeling is, is when mm-hmm. you're like, I just, but you can't. Like, it is done. It's over. 
the first time is and i so i really really like that aspect you know it really brings out that feeling of like ah like it's so good you know it's very good when i finished reading deathly hallows right for the first time i'm like well i can never read that again for the first time when i finished whatever it was for the first time you're like man ooh, finishing the, the last of us for the first time right i mean so that's why it was video games testing a lot like and especially i think it you know with gotta work it in here somehow but like dark souls and bloodborne like god i wish i could oh, play man. those games for the first time again because the first time you're playing them is so good i've only played elden ring through once because i was like you know what that's all i needed I spent 80 hours in this world and like... Which is as, mu- which is as long as you spent playing Dark Souls right. 1, you yeah. know? So, and so oh. I... And then I believe after this one is when she gets to the invisibility. Yep. Or to make things... A spell to, to make, make hidden in- things visible. And so she says a spell aloud and she's like, well, I guess it worked. Yeah, and she and starts seeing she, the pictures in the book. Start yeah. appearing. And then she starts hearing footsteps. Yeah. And she was like... It's not the magician because the magician makes no noise when he walks because he walks like a cat apparently. Mm-hmm. And so she turns around and it's Aslan yeah, in the there. doorway. Yeah. And I this is one of my, you might be able to find it, one of my favorite quotes. Is she's like, Aslan, there's no way I made you like uninvisible. And he's like, you really think I can break like my own rules? Oh, it's great. And I was so. like, that is such a cool line. And oh. it's like really oddly grounding I got it in right the here, situation. Man. Go ahead. Oh, Aslan, she said, it was kind of you to come. I have been here all the time, said he, but you have just made me visible. Aslan, said Lucy, almost a little little reproachfully, don't make fun of me, as if anything I could do would make you visible. It did, said Aslan. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? After a little pause, he spoke again. Child, he said. I think you have been eavesdropping. But no, yeah. it's, it's great. I love that. Like, it's such a small detail, but I, when I read that yeah. part again, I was like, oh my gosh. That is such and a cool, just again, like, bomb the drop. I, no, it's a great bomb because especially when he says, like, you know, like, I've, you've just made me visible. I've been here the whole time. I mean, that I think is a pretty good representation of, like, they do have this guy, like, they have the spirit with them. And just because you can't see him mm. doesn't mean he's not real. That all Lucy did was just the spell made him visible. And now he has to obey the rules. But yeah. he's always been there. And then he's a, always there. And then again, he has to remind her. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was eavesdropping. Like, can you tell me what the future would have been like? And he's like, nope, sorry. I can't say what it would have been like. You know, I can't do that. I can't tell you what would have been or what would have happened. Oh. And again, I, you know, I think this is such a good call, Jack, because I mean, this whole conversation is good because even. You know, he he tells her, like, well, I'll ever forget it. And he's like, no, you won't. You won't ever forget that you heard that. And I'm like, that's heavy. That's like, that's some real life lessons right there. Like, that trust, now that the trust has been broken, you will not forget. Not that you'll Mm -hmm. never be friends or not that, but you'll always remember that. Because, yeah. And it's just a really interesting, like dynamic i think of human jealousy and like your ego and stuff like that like you heard it now it's going to be a part of you Mm -hmm. but i love the part where lucy says shall i ever be able to read that story again the one i couldn't remember well you'll tell it to me aslan and he says indeed yes i will tell it to you for years and years but now come we must meet the master of the house and turns around then the magician's like right down the hall and the duffel puds made happy. Well, what's the... Um, 
The magician's name, Cal... Corican. Corican. Yeah. He's he's freaking sick. And I love... later on revealed to be a star that's <laughs> being punished. <laughs> what? Anyway, okay, let's... again, I know one of my favorite lines is, is that whole conversation too. But oh, I like oh. how he's like, oh, he's like, uh, he's basically what Henry would be like if he was. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. He's like, oh, he's like, actually, they're not that bad. They're, not, they're just yeah. really dumb. And you know, <laughs> honestly, though, it's a little entertaining sometimes. So. He's like, oh, no, literally, I just had them maintenance and take care of the food, or else they wouldn't have like, He's food. like, literally, like, they I, they won't take care of themselves. They'll die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, like, they're so down, they won't take care of themselves. And so they go down the stairs to find out you see the, who these people are. Oh, uh, Give me and a description of these people. So they go down, and Lucy's like, there's just a bunch of mushrooms lying around. And then suddenly, they start waking up, and the heads of the mushrooms, like, go onto the ground, and then, oh, they're basically dwarves with one giant foot. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of still horrifying. Still horrifying, especially when they use their feet to those little boats and they swim around, which it's a really nice bit of levity, like after all this stuff and like they get their supplies, and everybody's happy and sails off. And of course, I feel like C.S. Lewis is really setting you up for what's to come. My favorite part, my favorite chapter, which of course, let's, let's take a little quick break here, right? So I chapters break. It's not necessarily. It's it's related. So of course we're coming up to the Dark Island part, which freaked me out as a kid. I like the idea of it and like the way the places my mind goes just like freak me out with what this kind of place could be. Yep, 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 yep. And I've always liked like horrific and kind of dark things. I really can't tell you why. I know that like growing up, I'm sure I was a worry to like mom and dad because i was like so i was just interested in the darker stuff i was well, interested in the villains i don't know like if we we're we weren't really maybe i'm speaking more for myself we weren't really interested in like the super gory no no like that kind of stuff but like definitely like the darker side was just always like the macabre was always really fascinating to i think yeah. both of us yeah i mean especially games like the darkness oh yeah it's a very dark game. I mean, I even think back name. to like uh, Dark Cloud, right? Dark Cloud. And, like, our the... mom was like, "This game's demonic." Well, and They're even like some of this genie. Who was my favorite character in Dark Cloud? But like the guy you fought against, like your rival, who was like that prince who was kind of possessed, and like I always really liked those kind of tragic dark characters, like Riku from Kingdom Hearts. I mean, Orin from Final Fantasy X, like the darker kind of like. For some reason, that has always stuck with me, and then like it's evolved to even now. I think where. I think of a story like The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which would be a great one to do for chapters. You know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I've never read that book. So that but, would be a fascinating one. You to know, read. like these darkly beautiful pieces are definitely my favorite. And so getting into this part again, and especially like reading through this part and listening to it on audio as well, I was like, God, this part is, it's a lot shorter than I remember. It goes for by sure. pretty quick, but the implications of what this is are horrifying. I don't, they are horrifying. So they, so yeah, take it away. Jack. So they're basically sailing with the island. Everything's good. Everything's fine. And then they see like this huge dark mass mm-hmm. that they're approaching uh, and no lights coming from it. No lights going into it. And so they, they get closer and Reaper Cheap's like, if we don't venture in, right? That's, that's what he said. This yeah. Part. Reaper Cheap's like, if we don't venture in, like then we're cowards or whatever. Like we're here to do this. Basically yep. we're here to explore. And Let so, me see if I can find the exact You know, they're kind of like, all right, well, light, you know, the light on the front, the back of the boat, all that kind of good stuff, and we'll <laughs> okay, we'll go in. Can I go, dude? Let me interject. Uh, interject. Do we go into this? 
asked Caspian at length. Not by my advice, said Drinian. The captain's right, said several sailors. I almost think right, he yes. is, said Edmund. Lucy and Eustace didn't speak, but they felt very glad inside at the turn that things seemed to be taking. But all at once, the clear voice of Reepicheep broke <laughs> the in shrill. upon the silence. And why not? He said. Will someone explain to me <laughs> why not? No one was anxious to explain, so Reepicheep continued. If I were addressing peasants or slaves, <laughs> he said, I might suppose that this suggestion proceeded from cowardice. But I hope it will never be told in Narnia that a company of noble and royal persons in the flower of their age turn tail because they were afraid of the dark. So, you're yeah, like, so Reepichi basically like, Reepichi? calls them out, but <laughs> he does. it's almost like he doesn't understand the gravity because this is horrifying. Yeah, like, this would freak me out. Like, it's just dark. And so they, they're okay. They venture in. They're like, oh, okay. Lights on lights. whatever. And so they, they sail into it, and it's just darkness for a long time. <sighs> yeah, and Lucy's time. up at the top. Just, there's nothing. Yeah. And, and then they hear it. Then they hear someone call out to them. Oh, God, and it's just... It's like, help! Oh, it, 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 and, like, that alone would be the most horrifying thing in the world. Oh, yeah, and it's because, like, you know, I... In our lives, it's very, very rare that we're in, like, complete darkness, right? Because, like, even at night, like, we have a lot of ambient light. You have the stars and stuff like that. But I think of very dark rooms. I think of, you know, dark basements. I think of when we would turn off all the lights in our house and block out every source of light and play like hide and seek in the dark. And there's Dude. just that feeling of the darkness pressing in and you're, you kind of get that little slight ringing. Cause there's like no sound and it just is like, yeah, horrifying. And like so then pressing. somebody cries out. Hell, you know, hell. And so hell. there's one thing I'm not sure is if there's like land or if he's just been floating on something. So they do say, there's like some kind of dark land or dark okay. island, but they and never, but, never hit it. Anything. Yeah, but so, but he, and I imagine this guy is like sitting here on the shore, sees these lights from the ship, yeah, swims and it's just like, like this madman screaming and yelling for them, like, and he like runs out, and like swims in the water towards yeah. them because they like you know a dozen hands pull this man up, and it's this horrified pale man with these eyes so wide you can't tell if he has eyelids or not mm, yeah and it's like fly fly and he's it's it's really interesting how quickly this turns because he goes from try might read a passage here but he goes from you know reading not so reading <laughs> he goes from i'm looking at Charlie reading that's your adhd mind no so that's the he goes from saying this is where dreams come alive. And oh. everyone's like, oh, I got oh. you, man. Oh, okay. It sounds kind of nice. Yeah. And he's like, not just dreams, but nightmares. Fools, said the man, stamping his foot with rage. That is the sort of talk that brought me here. And it'd be better if I drowned or been never born. Do you hear what I say? This is where dreams, dreams, do you understand, come to life, come real. Not daydreams. Dreams. There is about a half a minute of silence, and then, with a great clatter of armor, the whole crew went tumbling down the main hatch as quick as they could and flinging themselves on the oars to row as if they'd never rowed before. And Drenian was swinging around the tiller, and the boatman was giving out the quickest stroke that he had ever heard at sea, for it had taken everyone just a half minute to remember certain dreams they had 
dreams that made you afraid to go to sleep again and realize what it would mean to or what it would mean to land on a country where dreams came true and i love this part because you get oh it's aspects of everyone so you know you even have like an oarsman who's like you hear the bell the you bells. hear the gong and caspian's like they're crawling up the sides yeah they're crawling he's like shh quiet can't you hear them? They're crawling up the sides. And, you know, everyone Lucy like, hears like giant scissors. Like, sk- I thought that was Eustace. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. And I, th- I think Lucy hears like the flapping of something. Oh, my God. I'm not sure. But yeah. I'm just like, that is horrifying. utterly terrifying. And it's, if this part was like done well in like a movie oh my or God. a show, I would be. It goes, it goes from like zero to a hundred real quick, and everyone's like losing their mind. And like, and Lucy's like, uh, as love, like, there's a part where Caspian's like, Trinian, how long? How long, oh, had, how long did it take us? We picked up the man. And he's like, like no, five, five minutes. minutes uh, and Caspian's like, we've been doing, been, uh, like, we've way, been doubled that already. Yeah, we've been doubled that already. And you're like, oh my God. They're like, what happened? And, but like, everyone is slowly just realizing that we've been doing this way longer. Oh, and God. so, yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's a horrifying I love how much your own brain plays oh, into this. Oh, and I think he definitely plays into that, where it's like the dreams that never make you want to go to sleep again. And I think of like nightmares I've had as a kid and stuff like that, where it's like, and I like how he never says nightmares, which is interesting. He never says he just like dreams. I think nightmares is from the, I get that from the audiobook, the when I listen, the dramatization. I think he adds in nightmares to kind of make everyone freak out. Yeah, but it's... It's great, and of course Lucy calls Aslan for help, and then they see the albatross, which does say something to her. It's but like, it's like, it's like, courage, like I like the way it does it. Actually, in the version I listen to, where it's like a deep kind of courage child. Well, in the and book, it getting gray. in the book, it doesn't say anything. Like it does say. Lucy does understand something it says. Oh, Lucy understands yeah. it. I thought it says something else that they couldn't understand. So, but no one except Lucy know that it circled the mass and it whispered to her, courage, dear heart. That's oh, I says. thought there was a part where it like talked and everyone heard it, but like they couldn't understand what it was saying. Anyways, but Anyways. it starts to get more gray and it leads them out. And of course, after they get out, it's like the land was never there. So in my mind, I picture this as like some kind of like dark incursion right that like it's some kind of like temporal vortex that they got like sucked into and like they really would not have given gotten out if their guide had not been there to pull them out because it sounds like this poor lord was just stuck in there for a long time then there's a part that you know that may maybe not like emotional but i was like man there's a part later that involves that lord that i was like golly i can't imagine yeah so because he hasn't been able to sleep yeah and then of course we get kind of to the the ending after this dark island part where or not the ending but we're in the end game now as they say and this is of course the three sleepers and i think from this point jack we can very much kind of where we don't have that much more to go in the book and so we can really kind of take it on of course they go to the three sleepers and they have aslan's table and the knife and of course, uh, a couple called Ramadu, the star guy. Ramad Ramadin. I, I highlighted it in here. Let me zoom in. Let's consult the notes. Consult the notes. But so, so yeah, so they, the little search party goes on to this island and they find this table. And at first, like, what what is at the end there? 
Like, what, what are those? You know, and then I think Reepicheep runs up and, like, they're men. Uh, they're Raw men that are do. asleep with heartbeats. Yeah. Their hair is, like, grown Their long. Their hair is super long. He tries to wake them and one's, like, self, not, you know. Yeah. And one guy's, like, porridge, please, or whatever he says. Yeah. And I like how they immediately think their food is cursed, which... After that, all they've been through, why right, would you not think rightfully that? Rightfully so. And I, 100%, I would, I'm right on the same pitch with them. And then this tall, very beautiful, very beautiful, you know, woman walks out of somewhere mm-hmm. and talks to them and Reba Chief's like, you know what? I'm going to trust you. Yeah. Pour me some of that wine. Yeah. Takes a sip and then everyone else is like, well, if he's doing and it, it's, like, it's actually, it's, to buy it's actually Edmund who's like, hey, how can we trust you? Like, how do we, how can we know? And it's funny because, like, Edmund is a really nice little character detail, like, continuity-wise, because Edmund was betrayed by this queen a long time ago. So he's mm-hmm. like, and I like how she goes, well, you, there's no way to know. You just gotta believe. You just gotta believe. And, of course, gets back to the idea of, like, faith and belief. And, of course, it's Reaper Cheap, because why would it not be? Yeah, of course. And, you know, Caspian's, like, immediately smitten with this woman, and he's like, you know... Our, or he says, you know, they've told me stories about how they come to a sleeping land and they have to kiss the princess to wake everybody up. And she's like, well, actually, you don't get to kiss me until you wake them up. And he's like, oh, well, what, what do we do then? <laughs> Please tell me. And she's like, well, my dad will tell you what to do. And he's like, oh, your dad. <laughs> so, oh, um. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, and I, totally, and I totally forgot about, like, who these people were. And I was like, oh. I was like halfway through it before they revealed it. And I was like, oh, they're stars. That's what, like, he does and how they're eating this feast and how he's getting younger and younger and you know so he can be kind of reborn again well, yeah, so he and his daughter so the 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 father comes out and they start singing this like really high song mm-hmm. it's like, very angelic basically and this birds that they can't huge birds they can't look at it yet yeah but just start coming from the sun and yeah. one bird drops a little bink, into the man's mouth a little fireberry a little fireberry which is the same juice that lucy has in her cordial and i love how this gives to, to the idea that the sun, like, is its own world. Like, yeah. with valleys. That is a really cool part that and, comes up later. You know, and life. It's yeah, really this, interesting. And I like how she says, the lady says that, you know, no, that it's not because they ate the food. It's because they literally try to use this knife to kill each other. And you're like, oh. And you're like, well, why is this knife? And it's like, well, this knife is the knife that was literally used to kill Aslan. So, it's been kept here. It's kept safe. Basically you know, this kept food here is, until time ends. And this food is here for anybody who makes it this far, basically. Like, hey, you know, the buy germ, Aslan. The Germa thing. Take this unlimited supply of chips. It's like there's just a feast. And it's restocked every day. These birds every come day. and eat it and carry it away. And they, you know, and it's just this really, at this point, this story gets real ethereal. Like, it just starts to, like, yes. you start, you've kind of left behind anything else at this point that's why this this book really started drawing me in especially towards the end Mm. and it didn't feel not like the other books had it all but like this one's really interesting in that i feel as even right up until the end you're being drawn more and more and you have more and more questions you're asking about what is this this is in narnia how does the magic work is this old is this the old magic aslan spoke of yeah in the line in the line the witch in the wardrobe or is this like a, a newer magic like what what is what's going on here yeah because yeah you learn that that the father and the daughter are both stars and he's waiting until he's young as like a newborn child till he can go back and be a star again yeah and the 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 magician from where the duffel duffel pods whatever they're called whatever they're called 
the magician that had the magic book was a star that was basically punished, punished, yeah, and sent down. And they're like, "What? Can you tell us what he did?" And he's like, "Why would I tell you what stars did? Like, why you can't you even like comprehend." You're like, "You can't comprehend that idiot." And so you're like, <laughs> okay. "Wait, so stars are people?" Yeah. And this is where I think it's Eustace or is it Edmund who drops the knowledge bomb of like stars are gas in our world, and he's like, "Ah, but that's not all." So that are. might be what a star is it made is. of, but not what, what a star. Is. In that, I I love that. I love that a lot, especially, you know, I think in a lot of the the writing I do and stuff like that, I mess around with that idea of this. It's like, oh, yeah, here there's space and stuff. But like, and yes, it might be separated by billions of light years and these galaxies, but that's not necessarily what it is. You know, that's not this, the spirit of what is there. And so that is a really cool. I love that you brought that up, Jack. That's a great point. You know, that's but that's not what it is great and so they kind of all choose at this point because they're basically they've hit the end of the line and you know they kind of i don't know rank the crew to who goes well, with yeah, them. there's so, only one dude who doesn't go well yeah so basically in order to wake up these three sleeping men um yeah. they're told that they have to go to the end of the world as near as they can to the end of the world, and they have to leave one person behind. And Reaper Chief's like, "Oh, dude, that's me." Yeah, Reaper Chief's like, "That's my, my right, life's dream." Right away, like, let's go. Yeah, he's he's very excited. And Caspian's, but then he also says, "Hey, none of your crew can go if they don't actually like want to go. If this is not the journey they want to take." Yeah. And so Caspian's like, "Well, maybe if I give a speech or whatever, he gives a speech, mm-hmm. made it with a little bit of magic." That we're unaware of, but just perhaps there was some. And like I said, everyone kind of eventually talks and agrees that yeah, like let's let's do it. But the last guy who changes mind at the last minute, yeah, he's like, I don't want to do it. And everybody else wants to do it, and he's like, Well, I kind of want to do it. Yeah, but it was it's like, so nah, fun how there's go. a little like page or two where he's like, and so that guy, you know, lived his life, had a great life, and talked about going to the ends of the world, but. You know, he always kind of knew he didn't what actually, what ha- like what actually. But he happened. started to kind of believe his own stories that he had done it. Yeah, yeah. And then that's the guy's story. Yeah. And so then we follow the entirety of the rest of the ship as they sail on the end. into the last sea. Which this part is, oh. they come, they start coming across the this. water. Gets really clear. The water gets clear. Oh. You can see all the way to the bottom. Yeah, and which is freaking cities. cool, man. Like fa- oh my he God. says fathoms and fathoms deep not just like you know oh it's like 20 feet down this is like hundreds of feet deep Mm -hmm. and lucy's like i can see the shadows of like cities and like town not like towns kind of speeding by Mm -hmm. yeah and roads zigzagging up a mountain and yada yada and then they talk about how they see these mer people like a hunting party yeah they're using these fish as like hawking yeah it's really cool and then Reepicheep, I guess, jumps down to, to fight to, Yeah. So, again, like, I love Reepicheep as a character, but, like, dude, like, because it says, it's revealed later, because you get the whole reveal that the water is sweet, which is really cool. I really like the idea of this, like, magic water that, like, drinks and, like, makes people younger, and they can, like, stare into the light more, and they can, like, see more. That is freaking cool. And, like, you don't have to eat or sleep. Yeah. It's, like, this weird, it's basically like a drug. Yeah, like, and so. no downsides. But, that's kind of why Reepicheep jumped in, but he first jumped in because he saw the sea captain shaking the spear at him, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to sort this out right here, right now. And I'm like, dude, you're a little mouse in the water, and like these things, this thing would just like... Well, I love how there's the little excerpt of Journey and being like, 
God, he's doing it again. Like, turn around, like, whatever. <laughs> but he's like, but he's doing it because he actually loves him. Yeah. Not because he actually, yeah, he mentions that. Stupid. He mentions that Drinian's anger and fe- it comes more from fear as like a child, like when your mom gets mad at you for running out <laughs> the middle of the street. And I'm like, I know exactly what he's yeah. talking about. I like your mom gets so mad at you because they're so scared for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jack's like, I'm very familiar with that. I am very, I, I got familiar with that. I tone. got in trouble most. So, as but, a young child. Yeah, the water is sweet. They see these mer people, and they keep going, and they just keep going. And the sun is getting bigger and bigger, which is really cool. And eventually, they see what appears to be like white on the horizon, and they send a little boat out there because they're like, "What? What is this?" And it's lilies, just like these like lilies growing. And Eustace, of course, is like, "Well, they can't be lilies." And they're like, and then even the narrator is like, "Well, I'm sure they weren't lilies, but they look like them." So, so whatever, whatever, we'll call them lilies. But yeah, and they. Is it at this point where they kind of separate off and like they keep going or is it, do they go th- sail through the lilies for a while? In fact, let me reference my text here. God, I think they sail through the lilies I think they for do. a little while. I think the treader um, actually does sail through the. No, the treader stops and turns and then a the little sail goes out into the lilies. Well, right? yeah, because in the before that, you know, let's see here. Tries looking through the books. The Apo- I apologize the, for this. The, the scripture. Should know this a little bit better. But yeah, so before this, though, they have this whole section where it's basically time for them to leave, right? It's time for Reaper Cheap, Lucy, Edmund, and Eustace to leave. And Caspian is like, hey, I'm going to go with you. I'm oh, basically abdicating. And this part, I totally forgot about this. Yeah, Caspian, like, gets, like, he's trying to, like, to really pull rank and, like, no, no like, I want to see the end of the going. world. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing the end of the world, and you guys cannot stop me. And his crew's like, if we did that, it'd be like desertion. Yeah. You know, like, you can't really do that. Drinian's saying no. Edmund's saying no. Edmund and, pulls a high king rank again on him, again, yeah. you know? And they're like, we'll literally tie you to the masked man. Like, and so he was like, okay, whatever, go on. And then, like, slams and He's the like, door. but nobody can go. <laughs> and you're like, dude. Yeah. And then you're like, and then you go in later, and he's in there crying. Yeah. And he's like, I... He has this vision of Aslan. And he's like, I yeah. talked to Aslan. And he said that I He have said to that I have to go home yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm not to see the end of the world. Yeah. You guys got to go home. And Reaper Sheep goes on. But I have to go home now. And he, like, there's this moment where he feels, like, ashamed. And he yeah. kind of realizes that, you know, what he's done is enough. Like, he has, yeah. he has so much more to do. Yeah. He has a whole life that he's supposed to live. Reepicheep's this is like Reepicheep and Pevensey's and Scrub's journey. Yeah. So that part was like really interesting. It is, and you know, I definitely feel for it because like when I first read it, I was like, "Dude, Caspian, what the hell, man? Like, what what are you doing?" But like, but he, I was like, "Man, if I was Caspian, though, I would want to go. Like, I would yeah, want to keep going. I would want to. I would king. forget my rank. I'd be known as the king that went to the end of the world. Right? And no one knew what happened." And so, but that's, like, not important. Like, what do they do about Trumpkin? Like, he still has a whole country. And so, like, yeah, yeah, like, you can't just disappear. And so, yeah, they eventually, they part ways. And it's pretty sad. And, you know, they're, like, they farewell. And they see the, the you know, the huge, the ship kind of, like, flies its flags. And they blow their horn. And then they're just. Pull the shields. And, and they're just off through, like, this water and the lilies. And they go for, like, three days. They have, like, water. They bring, like, food and water with them. But they're, like, we don't really need it. Because this water, we can just drink out of it. And eventually. The, oh, this part is so cool. They get see like this wall, and it's it, at first it looks like they don't quite know what it is, but it's like a wave that's like perpetually like in motion, in motion. 
And as the sun comes up, you see like it bursts into these rainbow colors and you see like the city beyond. They can see like beyond the sun. And you see like this, like this huge mountainous countries. And they say like, he says even mountains like a 20th of the size should have had snow on them, but they keep going. There's waterfalls and great valleys and it's Aslan's country. But as the sun kind of passes, that vision of whatever that is kind of like fades away. You know, and it's really cool. And that's where they part ways with Reepicheep. And he sails in his little, little boat, goes up, goes up the wave, and then he's gone. And he's gone. It's, you know, it's so funny that that's what he was meant to do. And he did it. And they kind of go, you know, they go, I think they say that they go west and then the wall of water is kind of on their left. And eventually their boat kind of hits, it's shallower and shallower. And they hit this like wide green lawn and it's like almost even with the sea. So it's hard to see. And they kind of just like walk across this lawn and eventually they see this little lamb. And they see a fire pit there and there's some fish roasting, which hell yeah, cool. brother. And they suddenly realize they're hungry and they eat and the lamb's like, oh no, you know, you're, you're done here. But of course, you know, the lamb turns into Aslan and I think. That is definitely where I think a lot of that symbolism comes full circle. And what I love about He's I think one struggling of my, to find words. Yeah. Well, I think one of my favorite things about this part is Lucy's like, Hey, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? Because Aslan's like, hey, no, you could get to my country from your world. Like, what are you talking about? You can. And Lucy says, you know, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? He says, I shall be telling you all the time, said Aslan, but I'll not tell you how long or short the way will be, only that it lies across a river. But do not fear, for I am the great bridge builder. And now come, I will open a door in the sky and send you to your own land. Which, dude, calling someone the great bridge builder is like really cool. It's really cool. And I, I like how, again, kind of with the, as the part we mentioned earlier, that even if you're not religious or if you're not like, I think this part is still very impactful and it hints at something more. Right. Mm -hmm. And Aslan, of course, this is the the great part where he says, Hey, you'll have to know me by some other name. And I like how it doesn't, he doesn't say, Oh, you all have to know me by God. You'll have to know me by this, but like how all paths kind of lead to him. Right. If you're truthful with yourself and if you're honest, it leads to him. uh, Yeah. Cause he's like, no matter how long, short, whatever, like at some point, You'll be here. Yeah. And like that's it's super cool because it, it, it really shows that everyone has like their own journey that they go on before they reach wherever it is that they're going or that they're meant to go to. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, you know, sentimental. We totally forgot to talk about how oh, the lore that they rescued from that dark island, the darkness. Oh, yeah. How he gets he to never sleep. he like hasn't slept in God knows how yeah. long. He was able to go sleep by those other three yeah. sleeping men, which they found out are the sleep without dreams. The last three lords, yeah. And he's like crying because he's like, "I'm gonna be able to sleep and not dream, and I'll be awake when you get back." And he yeah. goes to sleep, and then he's like the happiest he's ever looked, and like yeah. they're like he looks so peaceful, peaceful and, and resting. And yeah. you're like, "It's oh, great. I feel that." Yeah, it's me after a long day at work. Am I right, boys? <laughs> But yeah, and that's basically the end. You know, it have, you have a very brief couple paragraphs where it describes 
how they get back safely and how he marries uh, Ramadus, Ramadan, Ramadun's. I'm going to say Ramadan. Uh, that's what I want to say, but it's hard for me to not. Ramadu's uh, daughter, Caspian, marries her. And, you know, she becomes a great queen and fathers and is a great mother and grandmother to great kings and however it is. And the last thing he mentions is he mentions how, you know, everybody noticed a change in Eustace and how his mother is the only one who's like, He's, I just don't really like him now. He's too much like those Pevensey kids. It is so good. It's such a good like little cap on the ending. How it starts with Eustace, it ends with Eustace. I love when Lucy asks Aslan like, "Oh, well, like he get to come back?" And Aslan's like, "Why do you need to know that? Like, just yeah, just go." I, I really enjoy <laughs> how th- this book, with its magic especially, just yeah. intensifies that. Even in this world, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. You're brought in yeah. when you need to be. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot just come here of your own accord. Yeah. There's, like, always a reason or there's almost, like, like a lesson to be learned in a weird <sighs> you way. You know, it's not so much a lesson. I actually will take a page from Voyage of the Don Treader. <laughs> Why would you? In that that um that story that lucy reads where it's like refreshment of the soul it's almost like visiting narnia changes you in a way it helps you see better because that's kind of what aslan says he's like hey every time you've been to narnia it's just to get to know me better and so that i think is what narnia is is like you get to know whether it's you get to know god whether you get to know the truth whether you get to know yourself more whether whatever it is it makes you a better person it makes you a more Mm -hmm. honest person a more good person if you know, if you believe that good and evil exists, which definitely in these books it does. Like what I like 100%. about these books is that evil does exist. Like there is that horrible shadow place, and like I mean, later in books like Last Battle, and I mean, there's there's Dude, Tash, and I still to this day to this day have in my memory burned that image of Tash. Yeah, and it's horrifying. And so. Jack, that wraps up Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Dude, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Fantastic. So far, I think it's probably like one of my top Narnia books. Yeah, I would agree. I want to say The Horse and His Boy is my, probably my top favorite. Right. I really like that one. But also, Silver Chair is also like, they're all really they're all good, good yeah. in their own ways. We but, always talk about that, how we, we go, man, this one's our favorite. But yeah. So, <laughs> but I do think out of the three we've read so far, it yes. stands up pretty like a Oh. On a much higher pedestal. Than I, I definitely do think it does. Like, he's really hitting his stride. The narrator cuts in a lot more here. He has more of a personality. I just love all of the different stuff that happens in this book. Yeah. And I mean, it's it almost feels like it's written for me in a way. Because it's like, man, Charlie loves, like, I always talk about how I love the edges of the map. What What's beyond the edge of the world? I mean, that's, what are those mysterious lands well, I that like people how have seen? It's, even though, obviously, it's Narnia. You're introduced to, like, the magic more and more as you go on like, yes. so it gets more ethereal yeah as things go on to the point to where they're looking into the sun they mm-hmm. see the valleys of the sun they see the wings of the birds yeah they can see like hawks can after they've been drinking this water for days yeah you know this like special like all you need water you know they talk to stars they talk to yeah like it's just insane it's cool like how much happens in the book and but it's written so beautifully so simply that Anyone can enjoy it. And, like, you don't even necessarily have to understand, like, the deeper meanings or the deeper things. Like, it can just be like, oh, man, going from this to that to this. And so I would agree with you, Jack. This out of the three we've read, I love things about every single one of them. But this one, I think, has the most things I love. Definitely. That's the best way to say it. So, Jack, 
you'll be surprised to know that we've been going for an hour and 40 minutes. Ooh, really? Yeah, so we'll go ahead and kind of wind things down here. Um, next, and I'd like to hear from the audience out there. Next, we're planning on doing Horse and His Boy. I really wanted to move on to Silver Chair, but I didn't want to save Horse and His Boy for like the very last thing. So I think we're going to do Horse and His Boy next. Squeeze that one in because that one is... See, I'm so excited to read that one. I haven't that one. I don't know if I remember the whole story very well, but I'm sure once I start reading it, it'll yeah, it click back into place. Flooding back in. I just remember Shasta, Shasta. But excited to jump into Horse and His Boy next. Um, anyone out there who's made it this far to Chapters Book Report podcast, all about Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Thank you so much for listening to Jack and I delve through this book, talk about our thoughts and our feelings. This one has been an absolute joy to read. And I'm very excited to continue on. It's really good. However, if you have an idea for a different book, you know, put it in our Discord chat. And Which, hey, you ask, you ask yourself, wait, you guys have a Discord? Yes. Sorry, if you join Patreon. Take it away, take it away, take it away. Join Patreon. Literally as a support method right now. For a you, dollar. For a dollar. You have access to our Discord and you can suggest ideas Discord. on there for different books. We have a very, you know, active and fun place. Minecraft servers. I mean, what, whatever you want. It's it's a good time over on our Discraft. Discraft? Discraft. Our Discord server. But if you have other books, please suggest them. I mean, I don't necessarily... Let's keep our suggestions light. I don't want to be like, oh, man, read Dune. I, oh, listen, read Battlefield I would, Earth. I would love... God, I would love to make Jack read Dune and Battlefield Earth because I would love to read Battlefield Earth now because I know... Anyways, that's, that's a whole other topic. That's, yeah, yeah. Let's not even get started on that. But, uh... I'm really liking this Narnia exploration, you know, and I think we will go through the rest of these books because I'm excited to go through the rest it's, of these it's books. It's been fun. It really has been. And so for the next episode of Chapters, we'll be talking about A Horse and His Boy. A Horse and His Boy. And this has been all about The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You know, Jack, I was going to save kind of our catching up and how our week's been towards the end, but man, we're almost at two hours here and I say we're tired. Let's go yeah, ahead and wrap this I, up. I got to go to the store and grab a few snacks. Let's, let's wrap this up and let's get home. Dude, let's wrap it up. Um, Do you have anything final to say to the audience here? I, I have something I need to talk to you about. Yeah. That's for the podcast. I can't talk about on air right now. Oh. Wow, you just... I know. I'm very excited. I'm actually very... I'm actually <laughs> super hyped about this. Just giving us, so, like... Just giving the audience blue balls there. Oh, no. I, he'll, I have to talk to you about this, Charlie. But you guys can't know. I took all the money and bought Bitcoin. Woo! <laughs> it's to the moon, baby! Well, Jack, I'll go ahead and wrap us out here. Dude, wrap us out. I'll take these glasses to the um, sink. How'd you like the root beer? Oh, it looked great. Everyone, again, thank you so much for listening to the Rack and Trigger Collection Presents Chapters, a book report podcast. Again, as we said, if you love what we do here, check us out on those sites. Give us ratings. Send us a nice message. Whatever you feel like in the day. We love doing this, and we're going to keep them coming to you. Next week, as we sort it out in this very episode, will be a episode about the never-ending story. And then it's after that, after that, oh my gosh, Jack, geez. After that, trying to wrap us up here. After that, we'll be getting into maybe another episode of Double Take. Uh, I have a feeling that Jack might be changing it up a little bit. Maybe we'll see. something he wants to do differently. We'll see. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. So everyone out there, I hope you have a good rest of your morning, evening, or afternoon. I hope work goes well. I hope you sleep well. I hope that, uh, you know. Things generally go in your favor. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. What are you doing here? Go home. <laughs> what was that? Interference. Get out of here. What are you, what are you still doing here? What?
Sorry. I had too many memes. I always love the ending of that. All right, goodbye, everybody. Go on. Get out.